Hey, Scott Jennings here, host of Flyover Country. Thanks so much for joining us on the pod this week. I am, by the way, uh, traveling through Europe. And so uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, we've had interviews with uh, authors because uh, we put the roundtable on hiatus for a couple of weeks. And uh, it's so that I can go through Europe. I've been to Germany. I've been visiting Normandy. I've been visiting London. And I look forward to talking about that when I return. However, today, I am presenting to you an amazing interview with an old friend of mine, His name is Mark Paoletta. Mark is a conservative lawyer. In fact, he's one of the most important conservative lawyers in the country that you may have never heard of. Most recently in government, he was the general counsel to the Office of Management and Budget under President Donald Trump. He was also chief counsel and assistant to vice president for Mike Pence from 2017 to 2018. So he was a big player in the Trump-Pence administration. He was a huge player, by the way, in the, the movement uh, to put conservative judges in the judiciary during the Trump years. Mark is a just a well-known, well-thought-of guy in the conservative legal movement. A claim to fame for Mark is that he is one of Supreme Court Justices Clarence Thomas's best friends. He is one of his best friends, and I think he may be the preeminent Thomas scholar in the country. And a couple of years ago, um, uh, he and... Uh, a filmmaker named Michael Pack sat down with Clarence Thomas for several hours, several hours of video interviews. I mean, it, the the archives of this are going to pay dividends for historians for years. But out of all those interviews, they created a movie called Created Equal. You may have seen it. I think it, it aired on PBS. But there was so much that Clarence Thomas said that did not make it into the movie that Mark Paoletta decided, hey, I'm going to use this stuff and write a book called uh, Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in His Own Words. And so this book just came out. Uh, it is, if you care about sort of the life of Clarence Thomas, if you care about, you know, the conservative uh, mindset on the Supreme Court and the federal judiciary, if this stuff is fascinating to you, you will not find a better book or a better source of information than what Mark Paoletta has done here uh, with this book called Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in His Own Words. So coming up here on Flyover Country, we're going to talk about it. Our guest, Mark Paoletta, who has written Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in His Own Words. Here we go. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. And thanks for listening to Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Appreciate you being here, and it is an honor to have my old friend Mark Paoletta on the show today. Mark, thanks for being with us on Flyover Country. Thanks for having me, Scott. Mark is, as I said in the opening of the show, one of the most important conservative lawyers in the country, and he has written this amazing book called Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in His Own Words. But the way the book came about, Mark, I think is really kind of fascinating Take us back a few years ago. Uh, essentially, what you guys did is convince Clarence Thomas to sit down for several hours of recorded interviews that was then turned into a movie, but there was so much material that it led to the book. Can it, take us back to that beginning. How hard was it to get Clarence Thomas to agree uh, to be interviewed for all these hours? So it, this was uh, back in 20, 2015, I think, and the, 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 a little bit back, is it was there was a movie called Confirmation, on HBO, which was another hit job, you, you know, some of your listeners may remember with Kerry Washington as Anita Hill. Now, so angry that the left kept attacking Justice Thomas with lies. There were so many lies and, and errors in that in that movie that I wanted to make a movie that was fair and balanced about Justice Thomas. And I've, you know, connected up with Michael Pack, who was this A-list conservative documentary maker um, who's made 15 films that have all shown on PBS. Uh, and he was interested in making one on Justice Thomas. And so, uh, you know, a number of people were interested in doing that. Justice Thomas was not supportive of it. <laughs> um, and, really? Uh, yeah, you know, because he's, he's, he's going to do his job and he's not going to kind of do this, this press thing. And um, his wife was interested in doing it and some of his friends. And so we were going ahead uh, with, with doing that. And Michael Pack came along. I thought he was great. The more I got to, to know him. And when we were first making it, Justice Thomas had not agreed to – um, to be interviewed. And Michael had made films on George Washington and on Alexander Hamilton. I remember I kept saying to Michael, Michael, you've made films on these guys and you didn't interview them. You can make a great documentary. And he's like, 
It's not the same, Mark. And so ultimately, as I got to know Michael, and I got to tell you, Scott, he just gets Justice Thomas. And I believed in him. And I knew, because this is a big thing, right? If I'm behind a project and I recommend something, you know, and it becomes a whatever, you know, uh, it, it wouldn't be good. Um, so um, ultimately, I could, you know, talk to the justice. I told him I believed in Michael. He was going to do something fair. Justice Thomas wouldn't have any control over any of the, 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 the film. Um, and... And I, I think I originally told the justice like six or eight hours uh, it would right. be to sit down, right? And it turned out to be 25 hours. And I got to tell you, uh, convincing him in terms of the, the, the amount of time to, to spend on this was, uh, was some undertaking. Um, and then Ginny, uh, there was one, uh, Justice Thomas had suggested during, the, during one of the sessions, that if you want to kind of get a better insight into me, you should interview my wife too. So right. we interviewed her and Ginny was so compelling uh, and she's a, a dear friend that that became portions of it were in the, uh, were in the film. So as we're making the film, right. And it's going to be a PBS film of, of two hours. Uh, you know, you, you pull all this stuff together and then you're looking at, it and then you got to start cutting stuff away. And so I was seeing Scott and I remember sitting actually in the interview and hearing justice Thomas say certain things thinking, wow, that's fantastic. That's great. And then to see those things left out of the film. And I just, there was this one particular passage that, just killed me that it couldn't get in there just the way justice thomas had described something and i thought we need to get this stuff out in some way and that that became the genesis of the book which was you know the movie's fantastic everyone should watch that movie um it's available on amazon and other platforms but the you know to to capture all, both more in depth of what he was talking about in the movie and also things that he wasn't didn't even touch on you know that were in the uh the, you know that were in the interviews and that's what i wanted to bring to life so it's uh so after I left, I was I was in the Trump uh, administration. When I left that, that administration, uh, we went to Regnery. Uh, they loved the idea, and I spent the past year, um, you know, putting together the, the interview and and, and uh, putting together the book. And that's and that's what this is. And I'm really proud of it. And I think people will love it. And um, it's just very compelling because you hear the justice talk about more about his life, more about people, more about I love books and movies and what what was your influence. And so uh, it's just a it's a it's a, it's a much more intimate look into Justice Thomas's thoughts and, and life. And and I think the reason, Mark, that the movie and the book now are so vital is because of something you raised. And that's just the amount of anger and vitriol and the amount of uh, attacks that Justice Thomas has endured over the years. I mean, from the moment he was nominated all through his career and, and even through right now where you have Democrats who are trying to throw him off the Supreme Court saying he should have to step down from the Supreme Court. He has faced over time uh, just a huge amount of garbage thrown at him. And so I think what you've done with this book and, and what you and Michael did with the movie is really set the record straight on who is Clarence Thomas because you know he's sort of famous for being you know a bit of a sphinx you know uh, in these court hearings and and we're hearing his own words we're hearing his own story from him and not filtered through uh, all these haters essentially and I think that's I mean do you consider that I, I I mean this is the definitive story of Clarence Thomas this is this is if, if of all the things that have been written about him, this is the definitive truth about Clarence Thomas. If you if you watch the movie and you read the book, this is the story. We've just never had it before. Uh, that's exactly right. And and again, he wrote his memoirs in 2007 and they're great. Right. But it stops when he goes on the Supreme Court. And so there's a huge portion of this book about Justice Thomas and his relationship with the justices on the court on judging his approach to judging on his discussion of, you know, um, the administrative state cases and affirmative action and all these sorts of things that he's grappled with on the court. So yes, Scott, I believe it's, I agree with you. It's a definitive account of, of justice Thomas's life um, in a conversational way too, right? It's, it's uh, it's in, in the course of a conversation. So um, again, I wanted to bring it to life, uh, get it out there to help introduce the, you know, sort of, you know, and again, when you just talked about the American people and, and hearing it unfiltered, that's what happened with the hearings. Right. They watched those hearings in 1991. Everyone watched him. You know what? The American people believe Clarence Thomas 58 to 24 over Anita Hill. Right. And then the spin doctors happen and it gets reversed. And you're, so so getting his words out there, getting him out there. And one more thing. When Michael started to make this movie, I took him down to Pinpoint in Savannah because I know uh, Clarence's mom and I've been down there and, you know, kind of with his friends. And we interviewed a bunch of people. Um, and then he realized that this 
he was going to lose Clarence Thomas's voice if you had this traditional documentary where you had people who were like friends of Thomas and like him. And then you have to have in those kinds of PBS documentaries, somebody on the other side. And he thought, I want this. This is unparalleled opportunity to present Clarence Thomas's, you know, perspective. Again, the the subtitle is creating equal Clarence Thomas in his own words. Right. So this is this is Justice Thomas talking directly to the viewer, directly to Michael um, and and, and going through his life, his challenges, his views on things. And that's why it's just very unique and very compelling. Let's go back to the uh, beginning of your relationship with Justice Thomas. You were assistant counsel to President George H.W. Bush, and you played a key role in helping Clarence Thomas get confirmed. Um, so you, you've been close to him for a long time, and you were there at the beginning when when the attacks from the left started on Clarence Thomas and the absolute anger and and uh, garbage uh, began. Uh, and I'm just wondering if you could personally reflect on that, because you think about where we started and where we are now, and, and really we're not in any different place. I mean, the amount of uh, anger directed at him uh, has been pretty consistent, uh, and, and you were there right at the beginning of it. Uh, it was just from the very beginning, as you said. Now, I met him, um, you know, I met him in 83 briefly, but when he... Um, I got to know him on the D.C. circuit, right, when we appointed him to the D.C. circuit. So I was always I was already close to him when he was nominated for the Supreme Court. And literally, I think he was nominated on a Monday. That Saturday, we sat down and had some you know meetings and we went through his Rolodex and he went through all of his contacts for me so that as the fights broke out and smears started, I'd be able to call people right to help sort of set the record straight. And that's what I did all summer, (laughs) you know, is, is things would come up. Uh, you know, on all these crazy allegations. And so it wasn't just a need at hell, right? That was like the end of the process. But it was, you know, all these smears right from the get go. And they lost that battle. We were very effective in pushing back. And, you know, by the time, you know, the, the committee, the Senate Judiciary Committee was going to vote, Thomas had like 70, 60 plus votes, right? And it was this allegation that Anita Hill uh, was, that had been percolating that we didn't know anything about um, it explodes into the open, right? And we can get into that if you want, but that's the part that just blows it up complete sky high and is unprecedented, the vicious and, and all that. And then they continue on. Once we, he gets confirmed, they continue with he's a lackey of, of Scalia, right? He's, uh, he's dumb. He does, he's, he's unqualified. And, and what's amazing to me, Scott, is just Justice Thomas just kept doing his job. Right. And one of the things I talk about a little bit in the book, he goes on the court all beat up. I was diagnosed with cancer, uh, you know, a few months later. And he literally is calling me or visiting me every single day as I'm going through my chemo or going through my treatments. And, you know, and that's the kind of guy he was. He wasn't interested in going to defend his reputation or getting out there. Right. They were just going to come what may. Uh, you know, he was going to do his job. And, 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 you, and you see from stuff that has come out since, right? Um, Jan Crawford's book uh, from the notes from the very first conference that Clarence Thomas was a justice, that he was moving Scalia and Rehnquist to his side. Right. So it's completely opposite of what these smeared campaigns were on him. You know, Mark, one of the, one of the things that, that is just, I think, fascinating about, about Thomas is that um, the, uh, the narrative about him, you raised it, you know, these tropes that have been used time and again about him. You know, he's dumb. He's a puppet of other people. It's totally at odds with what you know to be true and what the research shows about how influential he is inside the court. But I, I really think a lot of these attacks, candidly, are racist. They're they are they are rooted in racist, you know, sort of beliefs that go back uh, generations, these terrible, uh, corrosive, racist beliefs. And yet, the left throws these things out at Justice Thomas, and they they pay functionally no price for it. I mean, it's okay for them to say that about Clarence Thomas, yet they also spend a lot of their time claiming that you know uh, that the people on the right are racist, no matter you know what what debates we get into with, with the with the left. But but what they've gotten away with and how they have described him is really despicable. But I but I think one of these key issues that you could drill down on for us is just how influential Thomas has been inside the court since he's been on there. Yeah. I mean, there's a number of opinions where he, there's a number of opinions where he, and I think Dobbs is going to be the latest 
where he has been writing in dissent for many, many years, uh, you know, about um, Roe being unconstitutional and should be overruled. And that's what the court's about to do. Right. And so th there's a number of opinions, a number of areas of the law, Scott, where Justice Thomas was in the minority or uh, writing a concurrence on making a point and the court has moved his way. Heller was something that Justice Thomas had um, uh, written on in a, in a previous case about the Second Amendment, and that became the majority opinion. There was a case last term where I think uh, Justice Sotomayor said, it's stunning to me that there's a, a case uh, where there was one vote, and now uh, I think Thomas, it was 6-3, Thomas in the majority, um, what had changed so quickly. So the court is catching up, in my view, with Justice Thomas's views, uh, his, his jurisprudence, really, right? Um, so there's all these justices. Amul Thapar is another one who is a huge, I won't call him a, a Thomas acolyte, but a Thomas fan, right? Who thinks Justice Thomas's approach and opinions are the, the, the right way to go. And, and he's having this impact both on the court, Scott, as you said, his influence on the court, but more importantly, or more broadly, he has, I think, like 15 or 16 clerks that are former clerks, I don't know, judges on, uh, you know, on district courts or appellate court levels. And, and I think a critic of Justice Thomas had said, Justice Thomas taught conservatives how to dream again uh, in, in the law and, and that you can accomplish these things. And so that is, his, that is his legacy, both on the court, but more broadly in terms of inspiring a whole generation of lawyers, both former clerks, but other people who read his dissents, who read his concurrences and says, I agree with that and I'm going to go do something about it in my, in, when, when my time comes. One of the things about Thomas that it, you said this to me years ago, and it, I, I think about it often, is that in your work uh, working for Vice President Pence as, as chief counsel and in all the work you've done over the years on helping get conservatives on the judiciary, you, you did some analysis of Supreme Court justices and how they get appointed. And then over time, they sort of just it's like this creeping, like the creep back towards the, the middle or to the left, like they start out as conservatives and then they but not. Clarence Thomas. And I was wondering if you could if you could talk a little bit about that, because, um, uh, you know, I think the Trump McConnell, you know, record on this is is quite clear. But the the standard for consistency in, in your conservative views is is Thomas. But talk to me a little bit about your, your work on that and sort of how that dynamic works and, and, and why that makes Thomas so important inside the court. Yeah. So, first of all, um, you mentioned uh, Senator McConnell, Senator McConnell absolutely fabulous on getting all of these justices and judges confirmed and making that a priority that, you know, this revolution wouldn't have happened without justice, without Senator McConnell, including, you know, doing that throwdown in, in 2016 of, of saying, I'm not moving on, on, it wasn't even Garland wasn't named, right. It was just, right. I'm not moving on the seat. And uh, a lot of people thought he would cave and he did not. Yeah. Unbelievable. And my view is, you know, no McConnell, no Trump. Uh, when you look at the, the voting uh, in 2016, and none of this comes to pass. And you go back to Chuck Cooper's, you know, article that there's no justices that are going to implement what Thomas is leading jurisprudence on the, attacking the administrative case. That doesn't happen without Senator McConnell. So anyways, um, I just wanted to, to, to make that point. Um, so in 2016, I wasn't planning to go into the administration. Um, I was in private practice. My wife pointed out this article. We were driving across the country or something, and she showed me this uh, New York Times story that was on uh, this chart that showed how every justice, you know, became more liberal over time, right. including liberals. Even the liberals got more liberal. <laughs> nobody got nobody got more conservative. And there's a term, Scott, called the greenhouse effect that Larry Silberman coined. Uh, who's a fantastic judge and very close to uh, uh, Justice Thomas. They served together on the D.C. Circuit, uh, named after Linda Greenhouse, who was a New York Times reporter, like a very well-known, you know, long-time Supreme Court reporter for the New York Times, who, very liberal, and that everyone will want to kind of make her happy. So, you know, they want to get a good article by Linda Greenhouse, so they're going to become more liberal, right? They grow in court. They, they grow in office. They become smarter, whatever. And um, And so... When I looked at this chart, and it went all the way back, I mean, to the like, like the the fifties or you know, forties, that that everyone got more liberal, except for Justice Thomas. Right. And Justice Scalia was a little bit, you know, um, you know, it, it, there, but the person who had never gotten any more conservative was Justice Thomas. And so, well, so then I get picked to be uh, uh, Vice President Pence's counsel, and I'm in the interviews, 
with all of these candidates that we're considering at the beginning of the administration in, 20, in, in just January 2017. Um, and we're going to interview these folks. Um, and again, I had been in the White House and had been involved with uh, confirmations. And I take this chart, Scott, and I put it in front of each of these justice, these candidates. And I say, look at this chart right here. Look what it says. Okay. Everyone gets more liberal. You're great. You have great opinions. Tell me why this isn't you in 10 years. Because that's what I cared about, right? Everyone's going to talk a good game. Everyone's very smart. Everyone has great opinions. Well, let me ask you a question. When you put that chart up in front of these candidates for these yeah. judicial slots, were they shocked by it? Did they acknowledge it? Like, what were the, re- the different reactions you got? So, I don't, so I'll just say everyone was really um, intrigued or, like, honestly interested uh, by it because you've heard this before, right? You always talk about like, like Larry Silverman saying the greenhouse effect. So people could talk about this, but when you see a chart that lays it out, um, it, 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 all of them were, I, I would say uh, not shocked, but like, wow, this is, this is interesting. Mm. And then went through why, you know, cause it really is this internal fortitude at the end of the day. Right. And this goes back to justice Thomas at the end of the day, everyone's smart. Um, you know, that, that is going to be considered at these levels. It's really courage uh, and, and fortitude and having been through the fire before, because a lot of times if you haven't been through the fire, you think you have the courage, uh, but you don't, you know, when you get up to the level of the Supreme Court. And so looking for those people, and there is no scientific way to figure that out, right? You can do all these things, but I wanted to put that, that concept, one, to see what they would say, but also for them to think about that uh, as right. they go forward, that, you know, this is the way it is. People, you know, and, and I want justices to rule as they really believe. I don't want them to stay and say, oh, I have to stay. I want them to, to not bend for non-meritorious reasons. And, um, and so it was really interesting. And several of them have mentioned it to me post, post the interviews about how, you know, uh, you know, that that was a very interesting conversation chart, uh, I'll say. It, it's interesting because uh, as I think about that chart and about the way you, you presented that to those candidates for these judicial offices <clears throat> about keeping conservative judges from from becoming more liberal over time, when I juxtapose that against, uh, you know, what you learn about Clarence Thomas in the movie and in this book you have coming out is that he actually went on a bit of a journey himself in terms of his own. Uh, political viewpoints and ha- and how he looked at the world. Maybe talk to us a little bit about, you know, Clarence Thomas, uh, you know, the youngster versus Clarence Thomas as as we know him today. Yeah, so he's born in abject poverty, right, uh, in 1948 in the deep segregated South, right, and um, uh, to uh, to to a mom and 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 father who left the family when he was two, but mm-hmm. uneducated, right, really uneducated, you know, uh, illiterate. And mom was a maid, wonderful person. I know her. Uh, she's still alive. Dad had left. And um, growing up in a community called Pinpoint. Um, and then he goes to live with his, his mom just can't um, raise three kids and be a maid at the same time. It's, it's really difficult for her. So it, it, she brings him to um, the, 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 his, her, her father, his, Clarence Thompson's grandfather. And that's where he, his life changes. It's like life changing, literally, uh, to go live with a guy who was this tough disciplinarian, you know, um, who, who had made his way, you know, in, in the segregated South with a small business. He had a fuel oil business and it was just work, work, work and responsibility, responsibility and no excuses. And the other thing that's formative to, to Justice Thomas Scott is most important, his grandfather and his grandmother was wonderful, too. But it was, the, you know, the grandfather um, uh, and then the nuns, the Irish nuns, his father, his grandfather enrolls him in a catholic school again it was odd his, his grandfather was a, a catholic uh down in down in the south had converted to catholicism um and wanted his his two boys because his brother went to live with uh, him too myers to to get a good education because he knew that was the way out and he goes to this you know again and these this is a segregated school in the south but you know what they get a great education and the nuns don't make any excuses for them and they hold them to high standards and they're tough as hell on the students and that saves Clarence Thomas's life. And as he talks about in the book, what kind of love it took for these, you know, both his grandfather and the nuns to be so tough and to be so unforgiving to get them ready to go out into that world. And so he goes out um, and he goes into a seminary. And then again, um, he goes into um, uh, 
uh, a seminary. It's called a minor seminary. It's like a high school. He's the first black student there. It's literally, you know, the South is being desegregated. So this is 1964. He's the first, the first of two black students that are at this seminary. And again, he's sort of a, a, a pathbreaker, right? And all the things that come along with that, the, the discrimination, the uncomfortableness, all that kind of stuff. And what you find with Clarence Thomas is, as he says in the book, hey, I get it. You're white. I'm black. I got that. What do we have in common? What do we have in common? And it, and I think he's lived his life that way. And when he connects with people, he's always looking, what is Mark Paoletta interested in? What is Scott Jennings interested in? And he talks to you about your interests, right? right. And, 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 and how that, you know, he's going to have an interest there too, in some way. And so it's finding that common ground, um, sticking to your principles, but finding that common ground. Um, and then he goes and, and as you, you know, he has this journey where he rejects, as you say, his grandfather's sort of principles and, and uh, embraces sort of black nationalism. And he says, as he says in the book, race and racism explained everything. And it was a sequence of events mm. uh, where, you know, Martin Luther King is assassinated and one of the seminarians says, good, I hope the SOB dies. That kind of are daggers in his heart. Mm. Right. And, 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 and move him away, push him away. From, from 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 the church and from his upbringing, um, and he joins the Black Student Union at Holy Cross, and he's kind of a radical, um, and goes to a, a kind of a bunch of protests, and is very very harsh on America and, and systemic racism and all that stuff, and then he goes to this riot in um, in, in, in in Cambridge, uh, Massachusetts. He goes to school up at Holy Cross, and he comes back from that crazy night of violence, transformed. Like, what did I just do? And he stops in front of the chapel at Holy at, at Holy Cross, and he's and he prays to God, uh, and he says, and here's a kid, who, a, a, a young man, but as a kid who had been an altar boy, who had been in a Catholic school, who had left the kind of left the church in terms of going to the church, um, uh, going to mass, and stops in front of the of the chapel and says, "If you take anger out of my heart, I'll I'll, I'll never hate again." Mm-hmm. Uh, he says he asks God, and that becomes, as he says, his slow return back to his grandparents. Uh, values and you know the, the journey sort of back to that, uh, which brings him into Washington and the, and the Reagan administration. You know later in his life. You're listening to Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Our guest this week is Mark Paoletta, who is an attorney by trade, but he's on the show because he has released a book called uh, "Created Equal: Clarence Thomas and His Own Words." And the material for the book comes from 25 hours of interviews with Clarence Thomas himself. You may have seen the PBS documentary uh, that started this project, but uh, there's a lot of new stuff in this book, uh, and Mark is talking is uh, talking to us today about that. Um, Mark, you you mentioned that when you sat down, uh, when you guys sat down with Clarence Thomas, he was initially. Uh, not sure about it. He didn't, didn't really want to do it. But once he got into the interviews, I'm curious, did you feel him warming up, you know, over the, over time? I mean, I would think to do it for 25 hours, he must've, he must've sort of warmed up to it and, and sort of started to embrace what it meant to do this because my, you know, I, I came uh, and saw the movie with you uh, a few years ago before, you know, COVID and everything. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, like, obviously it's a two hour movie, but there's so much here that, the the this is going to inform history you know for quite some time i mean i don't know we have something similar for other you know public figures uh, of his you know in, in, in the supreme court and in, and in a lot of other arenas did he sort of get that feeling you think as you were as you were doing these interviews so and I'll be clear like justice thomas was supportive of it once justice thomas does something He's going to be all in. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So from the minute he sat down, he was ready, right? And if you know, I want to say, I can't say enough about the guy, but there's so many demands on his life. But, like, he will sit and talk with somebody for two hours. Somebody, you know, come into his office to say hi for 10 minutes. Justice Thomas will talk to you for two hours. He's just that kind of guy. You know what I mean? And and so um, when he sat down, when he finally agreed to sit down, for these interviews, he was, you know, he was all in, right? And it's now it was. I think we did six sessions mm-hmm. uh, of four hours or somewhere around there. And here's the interesting thing: we go through the, you know, and I was sitting there at the end of the session. It was around lunchtime because we started him in the morning. He'd always have lunch in the in the studio cafeteria with all the other workers that were working on it, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and, and and talking to them about their their life and their aspirations and and all that stuff. So. 
Um, to go back to, I think he, as I said, Justice Thomas was going to tell his story and answer the kind of answer the questions and 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 you saw from and he had to wear the same outfit, <laughs> you right, know, um, right, every, right, every, right, every, every, over six times. But um, but no, I think he, um, you know, I, I, I he was in terms of the importance of a lot. He's he's a very humble guy. He wanted to cooperate once he decided to cooperate and and you know sort of give his best recollections and, and comments on things. And it was really, it was really, it was, it was exciting for me. I've been a friend of his, you know, for a long, long time, but be sitting there, I certainly was aware of like, wow, this is, this is unprecedented. This is great stuff watching this unfold, uh, you know, during the interview. Mark, when you were talking to him about these different moments in his life, and I mean, he, he lived through some difficult moments, obviously difficult circumstances as a child. And, and, you know, he had this, uh, as a young man, you know, went through this, uh, you know, conversion and then and realized, you know, his life was on the wrong track. He went through the Anita Hill situation, which just must have been personally crushing, given the amount of integrity that he has. D- did you find at any time when you were interviewing him that that it was sort of emotionally draining for him to sort of recount all this, that it was personally, you know, sort of difficult to do? Because, you know, some of these are difficult memories. And uh, and I, I know it's part of his story and and. And we think of him as sort of a stoic, great man today. But but these are, I mean, if you read this and you, you watch the movie and you, you you realize what he's been through, these are emotional episodes. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do think it was it was ta- taxing on him to go over. I mean, it, it to go over these, you know, particularly the Anita Hill stuff. Um, um, but I think he recognized that we want, you know, he that we we're going to make a movie. He had agreed to participate in it, and he wanted to kind of give his best you know, his, his, his best comments, um, and, and, and be all in on the project. So, um, yeah, but I think, I think all of that is, is draining and, um, um, and, and to me it would be infuriating, right. I yeah. mean, just for the, I mean, I, I believe every, I think it was a total lie, total lie. Uh, and, and the, and the hearings, and I'll, I'll just tell your listeners, I set up a website called anitahillcase.com back in 2016 that has everything you ever want to know about that hearing and why everything that was said in there, you know, supports Clarence Thomas and every single, you know, analysis of every one of her witnesses and why they either were not telling the truth or things didn't add up and including Anita Hill. So anitahillcase.com and I also set justicethomas.com, which are sort of a website devoted to Justice Thomas's articles and opinions and speeches and that sort of stuff. But, um, but yeah, I, I think better, the, I think a, the I think the anecdote though you told about uh, you know when he's at Holy Cross and he realizes he has all this anger in his heart and he prays for God to take that away from him that that wasn't just in the moment you know that was that's forever for him and and so you know, he goes through this amazing experience of getting confirmed with this incredibly you know crushing personal and, and false allegations I think I mean you get the feeling reading about him and, and hearing you talk about about this. You get the feeling that had he not had that experience at Holy Cross, that he not that had he not sort of come realized the corrosive nature of anger, that it might not have been personally, you know, emotionally survivable. Because you, you think about what what he was accused of, you think about the public display of just how ridiculous the spectacle was, and just dragging a man through the mud uh, the way they did. I think you just get the feeling had he not had that conversion, had he not you know come to that realization as a young man, you wonder how somebody sort of lives through it. You know how somebody you know it, it would have been easy just to walk away, and he chose not to do that. Uh, I agree. Um, you know, and and I think it's that conversion, um, that faith in God, and in his grandfather's kind of you know um, advice and 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 uh, an example of never backing down of standing up for what you believe. And that's what he, his grandfather says to Justice Thomas when he's in the Reagan administration, and he's getting pummeled. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I agree, Scott. It was a, it was just a horrible, horrible time. You know, the day that that story leaked, uh, uh, Ginny had to go somewhere and she asked me to come over and, and be with Justice Thomas. Uh, it was Sunday, October, October 6th, I can remember, 1991. And he was just, just, he was just destroyed. He was really, um, you know, and again, here's a man who had nothing, as he said, had nothing except his, his, his integrity, yeah. right? his good name. And that's what they came for. And that's what they were taking away. And, 
to stare it down um, and, and, and go into that arena like that, just it, it, it takes something like that, that faith in God, you know, to, to fight through and, um, um, I mean, and to come the, through. It is the corrosive. I mean, it's just it's just uh, we, you know, we think of him and we talk a lot about how important he is to the conservative you know, movement in America. But but there's a great life lesson in all this, and that is to 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 understand the corrosive nature of anger. And to understand that if you let it sort of consume you, that it, it makes it really hard to achieve all that you can be. And I, I just I just get the feeling that his I mean, the, the, the mental fortitude and the faith that it took to let that go. I mean, it, it it set the stage for him to be this great man that he became. And I, I just think there's a lesson in that for everybody that if you let anger consume you. It's going to limit what you can do. And if you and if you defeat it with faith and good nature. Uh, then, then it really does enhance, you know, what you can do with your own life. It's really, it, it, I just think that is a, apart from all the legal stuff, apart from all the, the decisions and everything, that's a life lesson that Clarence Thomas can teach all of us. You know, um, and he says, um, he has words similar to that, Scott, in the book about being at, at, at Holy Cross and being a radical. And he says, that's a funny thing about anger, right? You feel like Superman, uh, but it's, it, 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 it flames out and it's self-destructive. And r- several times, even when he was, you know, going through some of these racial slights episodes, uh, you know, racial acts against him um, in the v- v- various settings, he goes and prays and he says that I saw my grandfather never succumb to, you know, you know, losing your temper and, and, and lashing out. You know, that's easy to do. You want to do it. But it's ultimately you know, it's, it's ultimately destructive. And it is, it, it is an amazing life lesson when you think about, and it has a lot of relevance to today, you know what I mean? With, with, uh, with, with, with what's going on in our country. And yet he persevered. And he said at one point, I just went, I knew what I was here to do. I was, you know, I was here to get an education. And, um, and so I, I agree. It's a, it's a, it's an amazing life lesson. Mark Paolette is our guest on flyover country this week. He's got this, uh, amazing new book about, out about Clarence Thomas and, uh, is uh, one of the foremost uh, Clarence Thomas scholars in the in the United States, and uh, we're talking today on the show just about how important he is on the court today, and and how important his legacy is for the conservative movement in the United States. Mark, one of the uh, things about the book, you get towards the end of the book, and 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 you talk a little bit about road trips in the RV, and uh, <laughs> and uh, if you don't know, Clarence Thomas is, I guess, famous for having this RV and. Uh, driving it himself around the country. And I, I think one of the things that is interesting about that is, and when you talk about how interested he is in listening to other people's stories, you can tell Clarence Thomas loves America and he loves Americans and he hates the bubble uh, of Washington, D.C. But and he, and he is just embracing of, you know, everybody in middle America who makes up the greatness of this country. What can you tell us about those road trips and your experience with them and what it's like to be on the road with Clarence Thomas. Uh, so a perfect place to be with flyover country, Scott. Um, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, I've been on a number of trips with him, We've gone to Florida, uh, to, to go, we used to go get his bus fixed down there and we'd stop in South Carolina or we'd stop and we'd sleep in Walmart par- parking lot. Yeah. Oh yeah. Where we stay. Right. And we set up for the night, get some food. Um, and it's just, he's just a great guy talking nonstop about life and everything under the sun. But in terms of his connection, it really is this amazing thing. People talk about it, but I, I, I see it, you know, of him connecting with people all up and down, you know, the, 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 our, our society and, and, and connecting with them at a, a level that's like just that level. Right. And um, th- there was a, um, there was a mechanic that had a, a, a repair shop in Richmond where, where Justice Thomas, uh, we, about 15 years ago, we found this place in Richmond to fix the bus because when you have a bus like that, it has problems right. they need to get fixed, <laughs> upkeep and all that stuff. And we'd go down there for the day uh, or like it's about an hour away, whatever, two hours away. And we'd drive down there and we'd end up with this guy, Chuck, for two or three hours just talking. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And he became great friends with this guy, right? Knew everything about every single one of his kids. Mm. His wife, his wife would come by. We'd sit there, we'd talk in. When we used to go down to Florida, we used to have lunch and hang out down at the place that used to, you know, and it was just genuine. Here's it, here's the, with, with this guy, Chuck, who I got to know, Chuck was, rode motorcycles and competitively. 
And like last year, tragically, he died. Oh. Um, and uh, his wife called uh, Justice Thomas to let him know. And, and, and Justice Thomas is just absolutely broken up um, and went to this, this to Chuck's memorial service. Mm. Right. Um, where there are, I don't know how many hundred bikers that are there and Clarence Thomas. Right. Right. And, and, and everyone, he talks to every single person, shook everyone's hand and they just love Clarence Thomas. And that's what you get with him when you're on the road is that, um, when, when we were, we were doing research for his memoirs, we went down to the Bush library, uh, president Bush 41 gave us access to the, to the white house records. So we sat there for three days, just the two of us. Wow. And then we'd, we'd ask for the f- files to come and somebody would bring a, a, a the, the binders out on one of those rollers, you know, the, the boxes of the thing we went to it. But every night we'd go to this completely rundown, um, burger place, you know, in uh, college station and eat dinner and have a blast. You know what I mean? He didn't want to go to a fancy restaurant. He didn't want to go, you know, and, and it's just, and, he, and he'd ask the, you know, the, um, the, the waitress about her life. You know what I mean? Just that real connection. We've gone to volleyball games. He's a huge Nebraska fan. So we've been to several college volleyball games. And he goes and gives pep talks to the players, like, in the locker room. <laughs> That's right? great. Uh, we have Nebraska football games. He goes to, you know, football games um, and has talked to the players. Every player – and I've been on some of these trips. They love Clarence. They know him. They come up and they, you know, he knows about their life and he's asking about him. So that's what it's like to be with Justice Thomas on the road and on these trips. When you're at when you're out with him and you're and you're traveling around, do you find that just people recognize and they come up to him and, and want to talk to him? And what what are those some some of those? I assume most of it's positive. I I I I, I probably probably don't get a ton of uh, anger out there on the road, do you? Never seen never seen anyone um, uh, express any anger. It's one of those things where. Um, a lot of times people aren't recognizing them, but there's a number of people who do and they come up and you see in the book, uh, Justice Thomas gives some stories about people who do come up to him. Now, this is when he's traveling with his wife and they ask, hey, are you Clarence Thomas? And he's like, uh, he, he doesn't he doesn't answer. Him. One of them was where a guy said, hey, are you driving somebody important on that bus? And Clarence <laughs> is like, no, it's just it's just me and my wife. And, and, uh, and the guy goes and the guy comes back and goes. Seriously, is there somebody on there? Because here's my card. I can actually, you know, uh, and, and and Clarence it just stops, never tells him that it's that it's you know that that you know he's a Supreme Court justice. He That's goes great. and sits in these um these um you know the 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 the, the parks, the RV parks overnight, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we'll be sitting out with people, and they won't know who he is, right? So he's sitting there, and they've asked people, somebody, what do you do for a living? Oh, I, I I'm a lawyer in Washington D.C. That's all he'll say. Right. Uh, and so he's not interested in all the trappings of of um, of being a Supreme Court justice, like far from it. Um, I'll just give you one more story if, if you have time. When sure. we were thinking about there was a statue that was uh, dedicated. There's a photo of it. The last photo in the book of, of Sister Virgilius, the nun uh, who taught him. And it was going to be uh, put in this cemetery up in New Jersey where 200 of the sisters are buried. And. I told um, Justice Thomas about like, this is where this, the uh, statue is going to probably be placed. He goes, let's go see it. So one day we just drove up, the two of us, we walked into the uh, church, asked where, hey, where's the cemetery? Didn't say who he was, you know what I mean? Um, and then we walked around the cemetery um, in this plot for, you know, an hour, checking it out. And, um, and that's just the way it is. No fanfare, you know, walk into a, a, a Chick-fil-A to get lunch. Uh, you know, standing there and with with uh, standing in line to get. Um, again, I, I I I'm going through all these stories. He goes to reads across America every year. Mm. Okay, now we'll see going forward. Unfortunately, with all this craziness, but every single year I've gone with him for probably a decade, and he stands in line, walks up to the truck, gets a wreath, goes and puts it down. You know, uh, on a on a headstone, comes back, stands in line again. You know. A Supreme Court justice just, you know, amongst everyone doing a great sort of American project, right, to honor uh, those who have fallen. Um, and uh, and that's just the that's just the kind of guy he is. Mark, you just raised an issue uh, uh, as an aside there, but I think it's worth talking about. And, and you, you call it the craziness going on in our country. And obviously, Clarence Thomas has just put himself out there for years. You know, it's kind of like like the rest of us, you know, a, a, you know, running around in, in the United States. How worried are you about the security for these Supreme Court justices, given the anger we've seen and the 
the willingness to just disregard, you know, societal norms. I mean, you know, we had a guy pacing around Brett Kavanaugh's house a few weeks ago, and and I know they've passed legislation to increase security for these justices, but um, how, how concerned are you about this? It, it strikes me that that we're we're in a danger zone right now uh, in this country on political violence. Uh, it, it 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 concerns me a great deal. I think it's despicable what's going on. I think that Chuck Schumer, uh, many people, but a lot of it can be tracked back to Chuck Schumer standing on the steps right outside the Supreme Court, threatening two Supreme Court justices uh, during an abortion argument that if you rule a certain way, you won't know what hit you, is what right. uh, Chuck Schumer said. And I just think it's, um, uh, I think it's reflective, I guess, of the, the left's view that they own the Supreme Court. And now that they realize that it's it's not theirs to be their super legislature anymore, they want to burn it to the ground. And it, and I think it's shocking that the Biden administration is not doing more, uh, and, and and in fact stopping people from from breaking the law by 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 picketing in front of and protesting in front of Justice's house. That's a, literally against the law by the very clear language of the of a statute. And yet, you know, um, Merrick Garland and the Department of Justice are, are not enforcing it. And so I think it's shameful. I do think it's dangerous. Um, I did mention uh, earlier somebody, you know, Justice Thomas, during his confirmation, had to wear a bulletproof vest, mm. right, uh, at times because of, of death threats against him in 1991. Wow. So it's reached this crescendo that's unprecedented. But he was dealing with this stuff back in 1991. And um, it's, 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 again, it's shameful. I am concerned. Uh, I'm hoping, uh, well, I, I'm concerned, but I'm hoping once this Dobbs case comes out, uh, and 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 and, the, and and there is no bending to the will or, or the, to the, to the threats of, of the of the left that they'll realize this is not you know this is this is not working and and it's going to blow up in their face. Uh, but you have crazy people out there and they've spun this up to 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 have it where you can go and and and, and it's not being denounced in my view enough. Right. You saw like on the Sunday shows, I think we, we, we both saw that not a single word of that was on the Sunday shows on the networks, except for Fox. That's that's outrageous. Yeah. Right. I, you, know, you could draw some pretty concerning conclusions about where the networks are on this. Well, not not only uh, I think in the in the in the initial days after that uh, would be assassin came to Kavanaugh's house. You know, over the last few weeks uh, in May and June, you had a number of uh, attacks on pro-life pregnancy centers around the country. You know, firebombing. And then you have this group, this, you know, uh, Ruth's Revenge group out there, you know, uh, saying that that this violence is warranted. They've been publishing the home addresses of these justices. I mean, there, there's a clear uh, movement out there of people who think not only uh, is this violence uh, acceptable, but, but it's necessary that, you know, somehow that this is how we're going to run the country based on violence and intimidation and mob rule. And it's it's really despicable. And I should point out, we, we are recording this episode in mid-June. It's uh, coming out um, possibly after the Dobbs case is released. I don't know when it's going to be released, but but we'll, we'll see. And uh, But hopefully the temperature gets gets dialed back because uh, this intimidation and violence and mob rule is, uh, is certainly no way to run a country. The voice uh, you've been hearing on this episode is Mark Paoletta. He has a new book that's just out called Created Equal. Clarence Thomas and his own words. This is the definitive life story of Clarence Thomas. The material was derived from 25 hours of interviews that Clarence Thomas sat for. You may have seen the movie called Created Equal that appeared on PBS. This book is the material that didn't make it into the movie, uh, but is fascinating if you're uh, if, if you're interested in, in Clarence Thomas. Mark, I assume we can get this book at Amazon, any bookstore. You can get it anywhere. Yep, uh, absolutely. Yeah, Amazon and in all bookstores. And please buy it. You, you, you'll love it. And are you doing an audio version of it as well? There's an audio version. Yep. Okay, yes. fantastic. So uh, wherever you get and consume your books, uh, pick up Created Equal, Clarence Thomas and his own words. And Mark, before we let you go, we'll give you the famous Flyover Country podcast lightning round. Short answer or one answer questions. Number yep. one, Mark Paoletta, you've been in the White House fairly often. What is your favorite West Wing memory? Favorite West Wing member, oh boy. Um, uh, being in the Oval Office with with, with President Trump uh, and uh, uh, bringing in some some filmmakers uh, to discuss uh, a, a potential uh, play with with him. All right, Mark. Who is your favorite Republican politician who's in office today? 
uh, Senator Mike Lee from Utah. All right. Principles. I, I, yeah, so I've seen you've had a lot of dealings with him over the years. Yes. Yeah, yeah, great guy. But number three, what's your midterm prediction? Will Republicans win the House and Senate in November? 100%. Uh, a wave in the House. Uh, I think we get the Senate, but, you know, maybe 30, 40 seats in the in the, uh, uh, in the the House, and I think we take the Senate. Absolutely. All right. What's your favorite sports team? Sports team. Uh, used to be my kids. My kids play a lot of college and high school sports, so it changed uh, from time to time. But I grew up a Yankees uh, fan and a New York Giant fan. All right. Uh, you can only watch one movie for the rest of your life. Which movie are we picking? Not, not the one you, not the one you made, but <laughs> so, another movie. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I love the, the 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 sort of the Braveheart type movies. Uh, you, you know, uh, the inspiring kind of battle uh, sure. movies. Uh, Top Gun was great. Uh, I saw that uh, Top oh, Gun Maverick uh, a couple couple weeks ago. So that one uh, high on my list right now. Who is your favorite Supreme Court justice? That's not Clarence Thomas. That's um, I know I know several of them. Um, um, so I, I'll I'll say that there 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 a number of them who are friends and I respect uh, mightily. It's a tie for first. All right, who Mark? Uh, in your opinion, you've been obviously dealing with the court and the justices for a long time. Of the non-conservatives, who do you think was the best um, and most maybe intellectually honest non-conservative justice on the Supreme Court? I think. Stephen Breyer has been um, the most um, thoughtful, um, I, I guess, um, n- not agenda driven, uh, and and he's very close to Justice Thomas personally. So he's a, he's a good he's a good man. And for our listeners who care about what happens uh, on the court in the future, uh, you've obviously advised presidents on these matters. So if a Republican becomes president again uh, in twenty twenty four. Who is on your radar as the next three or four people to watch uh, for the next vacancy as uh, conservatives going to the Supreme Court? Yeah, there's some great there's some great lower court judges um, out there. Andy Oldham on the Fifth Circuit, Amul Tapar on the Sixth Circuit, Naomi Rao uh, on the D.C. Circuit uh, are all great, uh, you know, uh, candidates uh, to, for, for the Supreme Court, in my opinion. But there's a whole the the, the number of j- judges that uh, President Trump appointed uh you know we're just 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 you know serious serious quality and there'll be a lot of them that will be in contention all right mark paoletta you've been a great guest thanks for joining us on flyover country i'm scott jennings we'll be back with a round table next week i'll be back from europe and look forward to discussing my travels to germany and uh france and uh, uh england we're have, have, having a great trip right now mark I appreciate this book, and uh, and uh, we'll uh, get some social media out on it because folks need to pick it up. Created equal, Clarence Thomas, in his own words, one of the most consequential men in America right now, Clarence Thomas. Mark's got the definitive work on it, uh, and we encourage you to get it. Thanks for listening. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Mm-hmm.